Good morning. If you've got your uh, Gospel of John's, it's page number 93. We're reading from John chapter 20, starting at the first sentence. On page 93 of your booklets, John chapter 20, from the first sentence. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this she turned round and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father, and your father, to my God, and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. And um, like previous weeks, we're going to start with a video. Uh, But just to warn you, this is a little bit heavier than the previous week. So it's from the documentary uh, of Rio Ferdinand, called Being Mum and Dad, and um, he speaks about some of his experience. So um, just, to, just to warn you, if that's difficult, please do feel free to, to take some time out. But uh, it's a little bit heavier. Um, let's, let's begin with that. I'd say that was from the documentary uh, a couple of years ago on Being Mum and Dad. And it's hard not to feel for Rio uh, in that documentary. He lost his wife at the age of 34, and um, the tragedy is they had all these sorts of plans for their retirement, as he says there, to live out in their holiday home, and yet death had other ideas. 
And it's no surprise, as Rio speaks of there, how we struggle as a society to come to terms with death. As Rio says, we put it in a box because it's painful to open that box. And it's sad, isn't it? Because for all our achievements in the modern age, death still lingers like it always has. Despite the heights of technology, the improvements in modern medicine, it feels like this ancient foe still catches up with us. And death comes to every single one. And it's no surprise, is it, that as a modern society, we cannot find it easy to talk about. It just seems to be at odds against all the optimism and hope we like to pride ourselves on as a culture. But what if there's a different way? What if there is an answer to death, apart from blocking it out? Well, according to John and these events recorded here, there is. Because this event recorded here changes everything, not only about us personally, but our whole world. How does that happen? Well, we see here, first of all, the life that Jesus achieves. And then we're going to look at why it's hard to believe, and then the life we receive. And I wonder, Andy, if you could put those points on, because I've left my clicker upstairs. See, first of all, the life Jesus achieves. See, when it comes to death, it feels like so often there's little to say, because after all, no one's got the answers. No one's come back. No one can speak authoritatively of what lies beyond the grave. And so we're left as a culture with nothing more than our best guesses. Thanks, Andy. But the passage begins with Mary and her encounter with this tomb. And uh, notice in verse 1, she goes to the tomb in the dark. Now, sure, John's telling us about the time of day she's going, but in one sense, it's much deeper than that. She's in the dark about this event. And in lots of ways, she is like ourselves, where we find ourselves in the 21st century. As we approach the grave, we're in the dark, without the answers. But then something changes. She finds the stone rolled away from the tomb, And uh, in her surprise, she goes back, gets two disciples to send a little search party. And as those two disciples come to the tomb, they look inside and they see something remarkable. Or rather, they don't see something remarkable. See, verse 6, we're told that Simon Peter came along behind the other disciple and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there as well as the cloth that had been wrapped round Jesus' head. Now, we get two verses on this clothing. Why is this clothing so important? Well, because these were the clothes that would have wrapped Jesus. He would have been wrapped in linen. He would have had a face cloth. And if a grave robber or a soldier had stolen the body, well, they wouldn't, in their right mind, think to undress the corpse first and then neatly lay out the clothes. See, something very peculiar has happened that requires a different explanation. And we see what that explanation is in that reaction of the disciple in verse 8. We read that finally the other disciple, 
who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. And look what he says. He saw and believed. Now that seems a strange thing to say, doesn't it? I mean, believed what? Believed the body is not there? Well, that seems so obvious it doesn't need writing. See, that belief speaks of something far different. It speaks of something deeper. And we get a hint of what it means in verse 9 when we talk about the scripture saying that Jesus had to rise from the dead. See, almost from the beginning of Jesus' ministry, this event has been spoken about. I wonder if you could do a bit of page flicking with me. Um, hopefully it's not too painful. If you um, turn to page 11, and I want to show you just right at the beginning of this gospel, Jesus has spoke about this. Page 11, right at the top there in verse 19. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and I will rise it again in three days. They replied, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you're going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Do you see? Jesus is predicting this very moment, right at the beginning, I will rise after three days. And just turn with me to um, another page, 49, and chapter 10, and verse 17. Page 49, about halfway through the page there. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have the authority to lay it down, and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Not only does Jesus have the authority to lay his life down, he says he's got the authority to lift it up. In other words, this moment goes hand in hand with his death. As he goes to the cross, the empty tomb is the next stage. And so the resurrection of Jesus is not a kind of bit of wishful thinking. It's not that someone kind of tapped it onto the story to make um, the, the, the tragic situation seem a bit more bearable. It is the plan the whole time that Jesus would come, he would die, and that he would rise, and that he would take up his life. And for this disciple, the empty tomb and the linen laid out is enough to believe Jesus at his word. It's fair to say, at this point, the disciple is very much on his own. Mary isn't quite there. Uh, Peter's not there. And uh, we're going to see next week uh, that Thomas, famously called Doubting Thomas, that's not how his parents named him, uh, but he's uh, been named because of his experience. We're going to see Doubting Thomas takes a lot of convincing. And so if you're here this morning and you think to yourself, well, this just seems very far-fetched, I'm really not sure about this, well, next week, Easter Sunday is the one to come to. Because there we will be thinking about how we can believe this. But can we see that this is the pressing question? See, as this disciple says uh, he believed, it calls into question our view of what happened at the tomb. In fact, John repeats the word, the tomb. I don't know if you noticed when Mike was reading to us. It comes out time and time again. Mary went to the tomb. They saw in the tomb. They went into the tomb. And it's kind of giving us this idea of the tomb in bright light, saying to us, what do we make of this empty tomb? What do we believe? 
See, at the end of John's Gospel, this is the crucial question. I'm sure we've got all sorts of questions about Christianity, whether a believer or not, but actually it comes down to this event. Did Jesus rise, or was it something else? See, no one can deny it that something happened in the first century around this tomb that sparked a global movement that even 20 centuries later in Basingstoke, we're coming together to to, to think about this very event. And the question is, is it because that what Jesus promised actually happened or is it a hoax of some sort? See, here is the proof that the grave need not be the end, but that life has come. Now, for me, when I was looking into the Christian faith, this is really, really helpful because I came at the Christian faith with all sorts of questions. Believe me, I had lots of questions, lots of doubts, lots of things I would struggled with as I looked at the Bible. But it was really helpful to see that actually all those questions hinged on this very point. Do I believe Jesus rose or not? Now, it's not that those questions and doubts and um, uh, all sorts of struggles suddenly disappear the moment you do believe, but they do find a right perspective. Because if Jesus rose, actually uh, those questions get asked knowing uh, that what he says is true. But I'm guessing for a lot of us, and especially in our culture today, this just seems so difficult to believe, which is why we're going to look at this second point, why it is hard to believe. Rio spoke, didn't he, in that video, of the anger he felt, and we can understand that. The sense of confusion, not knowing what to do with death, just putting it in a box to the side. And Mary seems not much different in her response. Uh, the disciples leave her and she's crying at the tomb in verse 11. And of course, her reaction's understandable, isn't it? I mean, she's just lost a friend and she never will see him again. Or so she thinks, because in verse 15, she encounters Jesus. Verse 15, Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. See, just worth saying this in passing, her reaction is one of the reasons I think this persuades me that this is a truthful account. Because if you were dressing this up in any way, if you were trying to present the best side of people, well, you wouldn't present Mary thinking that Jesus was there to mow the lawn and struggling to believe. It shows, doesn't it? She's not naive or gullible. She's not kind of, you know, yes, it was the, the age before modern science, but they know that dead people don't get up from the grave. But then that all changes because as Jesus says that one word, Mary, she believes. It's not just to Mary that Jesus appears. Next week, we're going to see it's the disciples. And in another book of the Bible, um, Paul, the, the, the early church leader, speaks of Jesus appearing to 500 people at once. That's more people than it's in this room. And the point being that you don't get kind of mass hallucinations or, or mass uh, uh, appearances like that. 
See, these were real people, real people you could go and ask if you're around at the time, investigate. And these are describing their real experiences. But interestingly, while Mary does the right thing in believing, actually her initial response is called into question. See, notice this question gets asked twice. First by the angels in the tomb, in verse 13, woman, why are you crying? And then in verse 15, Jesus asks her, woman, why are you crying? Now, they're not calling into question her um, response. Uh, It is appropriate to cry in the face of death. Jesus cries at the tomb of Lazarus. And it can seem a very strange question, can't it? I mean, you wouldn't think in your right mind of going up to someone at a funeral and asking the question, why are you crying? It would be hugely insensitive. But you would ask that question to someone who's just received good news. We say, don't we, if someone's crying and it's a happy moment, we understand it, but we say, why are you crying? Come on, it's happy. And it's that sort of sense here. But of course, why is this a happy moment? Well, because this day was predicted. Uh, Turn with me back to page 78. I'm sorry we're doing all this page flicking, uh, but page 78 um, and verse 20 of chapter 16. Verse 20, Jesus says this to his disciples, Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when the baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. And so Jesus is saying, look, this moment's coming where you will mourn, of course, uh, like uh, someone giving birth to a child, uh, but then joy will come. And it's that sort of sense with this question. Mary, have you not understood what this means? I don't know, um, Andy, if you could put the slide up, whether you remember this lady from the end of 2020. Um, I love this picture. I just love the Christmas jumper. But it was the very first um, kind of vaccine that wasn't in a trial. I can't remember the lady's name, but... um, uh, Yeah, I remember more about the jumper. But if you were just looking at this photo, if you were from another planet and didn't really know about vaccines or COVID or anything like that, you would think to yourselves, well, here's someone essentially um, stabbing someone (laughs) with a a needle uh, uh, on the arm and lots of people taking photos. It would be very strange. But of course, given the context, we know that this moment of a small bit of pain for a lady is actually the moment in which it felt like the beginning of the end, where hope could come, where we could finally get out and get rid of this uh, awful time. And there's something of that in this, this moment where Jesus rises. It is one incredible moment, but it's something even bigger than that. It is the beginning of a new era where hope comes to our world, where death need not have the final word. See, Mary's experience for us raises the question for us, do we see the significance of this event? It's not that we find death easy. It's not that we pretend it doesn't hurt us. It really does. It's very painful to say farewell to people. But 
there is something definite that has changed in our world. There is now hope in the face of despair. We're not just in the dark when it comes to death. See, Christians should be the most optimistic people in the world. Not optimistic about ourselves, of course, or the church, but optimistic about what Jesus has already achieved in his death. But how does that affect me? Well, finally, we're going to see uh, that Jesus not only achieves life, it's not only hard to believe, but we see that there's life for us to receive. See, at this stage, it's only one appearance to one person. And you might think to yourself, well, how does this involve me? Well, what happens next actually shows the significance for you and me today. I do feel for Mary. She does a kind of 180 in an emotional state, and she recognizes Jesus in verse 16. And uh, you can imagine her joy, can't you? At seeing Jesus, thinking that he's gone, and then finally encountering him. All of us are familiar with the airport hug, aren't we? I mean, it was made famous in that film, Love Actually. When you haven't seen someone for months, even years, and the embrace at the airport, it's that kind of thing. I can imagine Mary doing an airport hug on Jesus. But actually, Mary, bless her, is rebuked for her reaction in verse 17. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascended to ascend into my father and to your father and to your, my God and your God. Now, of course, Jesus is not being harsh. He's wonderfully gentle with, it, with her, isn't he? But there is a slight rebuke here. He's saying, do not cling on to me. Do not hold on to me because actually there's a job to do. There's a job to do, which is to announce this news. And notice, I made a bit of a hash reading it out there, but notice the the detail, the wonderful detail, what he says. That he says, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and to your God. It's a wonderful little tweak which speaks of an incredible change in reality. See, no longer is a God there as our judge and the one who condemns us. No longer is he the one we fear meeting, but rather he becomes for us my God, my Father, our Father, our God. And this is what John shows is the real climax of the gospel. This is what eternal life is about. That's what we've been thinking about over the last four weeks. Uh, This booklet has got the word life on it. Because it has all been about that subject of life. And what John talks about when he speaks about life is not just life after death, uh, although it includes that, but life before death. See, life as it was intended. Life not in alienation to God, but with God as our God. Life not uh, running away from God, but with life with God as our Father. And that is what Mary's to announce. This is incredible moment for one person, but actually it has got implications for all people everywhere. 
Here Jesus, in his resurrection, has achieved life so that we can call God our God and our Father. And of course, that message that Mary took went to the disciples, and the disciples took it to the nation, and the nation took it to the world. And that invitation has come to us as well, 20 centuries later, to know God as your God, to know God the Father as your Father. See, I didn't get this for a long time. I looked into Christianity, and first of all, I saw it as a bit of a kind of um, philosophical exercise, you know, science versus Christianity, all that. Then I saw it as a bit of a chance to kind of spar with people. And then, after a while, I saw it as a kind of, maybe it's true, but God's a kind of cosmic head teacher sort of figure. He's ready there every time I slip up to, to come and uh, throw the book at me. But then I saw this and saw that actually because of Jesus and what he has achieved, it is about a relationship with God, not with a cosmic head teacher, not with someone who's ready to condemn me, but with someone who loves me because he sent his son to die, to rise, and to give me life. See, Jesus' resurrection, this moment shows us that life has been achieved. And while it's hard to believe in the face of death, Jesus has given us proof in his resurrection. And so we're not no longer left like we saw Rio, sadly, at the beginning, in our grief, with little to say. The only option to put it in a box. See, life has come, there is joy. Going back to that documentary at the beginning, we, I don't know if you noticed, but there's a sad um, sign. Uh, well, it wasn't sad at the time, but it, but, but it takes on a sad irony. Uh, did anyone spot the sign? It said, this is our happy ever after. And of course, reading that, you can't help think, oh, that tragically wasn't the case. But because Jesus has risen, there's not just a happy ever after but a happy now, or a joy now in knowing God as our God and the Father as my Father, and to receive eternal life in Jesus. And the question for all of us is, will we believe on the basis of what we see? Now, we've wanted people to come to, to investigate things for themselves. We've called these guest services. We hope you feel very welcome if you're looking into things. And it may be that you've still got many questions and you're not quite ready. And we'd love you to come back for Easter Sunday next week and we'd love to help you as a church to explore these things and just make up your own mind. But for those of us who do, as difficult as it is to look death in the face, because Jesus has risen, you have life now. You can call God your God. You can call God your Father and thanks for all the questions. We've had lots of questions coming in, um, which is great. And yes, I'm going to dive straight in with Rob. Right, I'm not running off. Just sort of grab that. <laughs> yeah, it might come in handy. Um, so your first question, Rob. Uh, John makes the point, and you touched on this, about the cloths being, you know, particularly where they were laid um, and still in place. Why is that significant? Oh, man. There's so much in these cloths. Um, thank you for the question. 
Uh, I think they're significant, at least, there may be other reasons, but I think um, if you look at John chapter 11, uh, where Lazarus is raised from the dead, um, that's kind of a preview of what happens to Jesus. And there are all sorts of details in chapter 11 that then get picked up in chapter 20, and one of them is the linen cloths and the face cloths. So Lazarus, uh, when he comes out of the tomb, uh, Jesus tells the people to take off the linen cloths, take off the face cloths, and uh, here they're kind of left. And I think that's just a little subtle way of saying um, Jesus has got the authority to take up his life, and this is of a different magnitude to what's happened to Lazarus. Um, but the minimum, I think it's saying, which I mentioned in the sermon, is that this is a, a very, if it was a grave robber, which did happen, or if someone had taken the body to kind of, you know, be a final insult to what had happened, uh, they certainly wouldn't have left the grave clothes and neatly spaced out mm. like that. Sure, which is some, something that people level at the resurrection of maybe not being true, isn't it? So. Yeah, yeah. So it's not the full picture for John, uh, for the disciple he believes, um, but uh, there are other evidences, but that's one thing you probably would need to come up for an explanation for. Mm. And you touched on that disciple. That's another question, actually. Who is the other disciple? The it may be John. Is. That's why I said John. <laughs> he never names himself, um, and I think that's an act of humility. He sort of speaks about the disciple whom Jesus loved. Um, lots of people thought it was John, which is why this is called John's Gospel. But I don't think we know categorically. Okay. Well, well avoided or <laughs> sidestep. Thank you. Um, okay, so uh, two questions that are quite similar, so I'll read them both out. Um, what would it mean to have God as my father now? Is he better than my own dad? What about uh, for those with an absent father? And a similar question, um, you said that it's always been... Oh, sorry, no. Uh, yeah, can you expand on why you think it gives us joy to know God as father? Yeah, thank you. Really good questions. And I, I realize this is a painful subject for a lot of us, perhaps we've even not known our father, uh, or we've lost our father, or we've um, perhaps not had the father we would have uh, hoped for, and, and, and I realize that. So, um, and because of that, I think we make, when we hear this idea of God being the father, we initially um, map on to, to that image, um, our own experience of fathers, and that, that can be helpful, or it, it, in lots of cases, it, it's not very helpful. So, um, what we've got to do, I think, is start with the picture of what we get of God as Father and then work back from that rather than taking our earthly Father and working uh, from that. So um, that's just kind of just to, just to mention that. I think, what does it look like? Well, I think it is what we see in this gospel, and I would encourage you to read this, um, in terms of Jesus' relationship with his Father. So Jesus speaks about eternal life as uh, as. Uh, the Son and the Father coming to make their home with us, um, and um, it's like we're being brought into that relationship. So as we see Jesus praying to the Father, um, we can pray to our Father. As we see the Father uh, loving the Son, we know our Father loves us because we're in Jesus, and lots of other ways. Um, so yeah, everything you see of Jesus in here and his relationship to the Father is wonderfully ours uh, by what he's done. Yeah, that's amazing. Um... Okay, so I think I'll make this the final one, just a bit conscious of time, uh, but this is the one with the most votes. Uh, I believe the resurrection uh, and put my trust in Jesus, but the fear of death still hangs over me. I really want to be optimistic, but sometimes it's really hard. Well, completely understand that. Um, it is fearful, and again, it's, it's not saying that we shouldn't fear death, um, nor 
um, we shouldn't, you know, we should have a stiff upper lip and all that. That's, that's, not, that's not scripture. That's, uh, Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus, and we see that is the appropriate response um, to death. Um, and this is why I think Mary, as I was, well, I was trying to send a sermon, I think Mary is so helpful here because whilst she has the response to death, there's, there's something different and there's something that's changed. And while this is a, a, we look at the, the face of death and we think this looks like a tragedy, actually, um, because of what Jesus has promised and achieved, actually this is a moment of joy. And so this, I can't remember where it is, um, one of the um, church's kind of, um, uh, uh, kind of declarations of what we believe, written about 500 years ago, I think it's called the Heidelberg Catechism, someone can come and let me know afterwards, uh, but it speaks about death for the Christian no longer being an end, but the path through which we inherit all God's promises to us. Um, and so Jesus talks often as death, as sleep, which might seem insensitive, but to the Christian, because of what Jesus has done, it's like that. It's like being roused from sleep. Um, so uh, when we fear death, I think it is reminding ourselves of all those things um, that, that Jesus promises but again, coming back to this one event, and we may have all sorts of doubts, all sorts of fears, and, and if Jesus has risen, well, we know that those um, fears and um, doubts we have will be answered one day. So again, keep, keep coming back to this moment. Um, you know, we do at Easter, but also during the year to reflect on this. I think that's yeah, probably enough. Brilliant. Thank you, Rob. Thank you all. Thank you.